Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, kitties? Larry D is back. And the first episode of 2020 for the Bear Stock Underground is brought to you by my bookie. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a game is 10 times more exciting when I'm putting money on the line. Sometimes I have a gut feeling about a matchup, and sometimes I'm betting on my team because they are my team, which is absolutely untrue. I never bet on my team. I got a superstitious thing about that. Regardless, whether you've been betting for years or you're ready to play for the first time, my bookie is your best bet this season. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If you like a couple of big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go with mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. If you really want to support your team this season, don't just sit on the sidelines. Get in the game with mybookie.ag. And if you join right now, mybookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR to double your cash. And there's even without football, there's still plenty to go with. I mean, there is still football, the XFL. We'll talk about that here uh in a minute uh, march madness is just around the corner mlb is getting into spring training i'm sure some of you degenerates can bet on some of those spring training games uh and what have you and uh anything else uh under the sun the u.s open is uh coming up and uh there's nascar i'm sure that you could bet on nascar but uh, anyway visit mybookie.ag today where you play you win you get paid and it is good to be back guys first official show uh, of 2020 i know that my last show was technically in uh 2020 but this is the first 2020 episode of the bears talk underground and um we're gonna play a little game our good friend lauren cox from locked on bears is gonna be joining us uh to play what if i think i talked about that uh at the end of the uh end of the year in review uh episode kind of a playing out a a, a scenario on, on what if something happened and lauren will be joining us uh for that and um, talk about where I've been, what I've been doing, and how I've been staying busy in the six weeks that I've been gone. So let's do this. It's the first off-season episode of 2020 for the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. It's a new decade. It's the start of a brand new off-season. And... Uh, I don't know. Are, are, are we anywhere near as hopeful as we were a year ago this time? I mean, we thought we were going to the Super Bowl uh, in 2019. All the optimism from a 20, from a 12 and four finish in, in 2018. Mitch is making progress. The defense was unbelievable. All the new weapons that Pace signed going into the year. Trey Burden, Allen Robinson working out like gangbusters. And then 2019 happened, and I don't know. You guys remember that very long discussion Lauren and I had in the year in review episode. We still couldn't figure out what the hell to do, which makes this offseason all that much more intriguing because when so many things went wrong in the various ways that they did go wrong, there isn't just one thing that Ryan Pace can do to right the ship. 
it's a combination of things and if anybody knows anything out there about statistics and probabilities and things like that the more the variables the the more the possible outcomes are are you know are out there and it's like the right combination of moves are going to have to be made in order for the bears to get uh, course corrected uh in in 2020 i mean i know the optimists out there and the optimist in me would like to believe oh we fixed the offensive line that will help mitch with the time back there that'll solidify the running game and blah blah you can talk in simple terms we can't but we had no tight end production uh you know is david montgomery the the answer uh back there you know Tariq cohen was a virtual non-factor in 2019 all those things that you know what more can we do is it simply the offensive line is it you know finding a replacement for prince of mukamura because he was hurt a lot last year and all that kind of stuff there are so many things and, and what do we do with the with the with the small amount of draft capital that we have what do we do with the minimal amount of cap space that we have it's a very very hard offseason not to mention the fact that pace and Nagy both could be playing for their jobs this year so i mean especially pace this is year what six for him so yeah five year five for him five six 15 16 17 18 19 no this is year six for pace so um yeah so he could definitely be on the hook uh and or you know or let off the hook and be let go after this season and maggie Nagy would be three years into a five-year uh deal and hey we come out like gangbusters and then we go off a cliff the next two seasons would not be the biggest surprise in the world if a year from now we're talking about the new head coach and general manager of the Chicago Bears if things go as poorly as they did uh, in 2019. And here's the really funny part is that we're only a few plays away, a few bounces here and there from the Bears being 11-5, and 10-6, and 6, and being a playoff team this year. They probably would have been a very easily eliminated one-and-done team in the playoffs. Uh, but uh, they would have made it, and it would have kind of put a Band-Aid over how poorly the season went if we could have made a playoff run, but that didn't happen. So anyway, um, just real quick, want to go through um, my off season, and here is what I've been busy with uh, over the last six weeks. Nothing, not a goddamn thing. I have not been doing anything uh, the last six weeks, which probably uh, automatically brings the question, well, then why haven't you been doing uh, shows? I, I, you know, I actually wanted to come back like right after uh, the Super Bowl. You know, I, I said that I was going to take the month of January off uh, from the show, uh, and I did. And uh, then when the, the Super Bowl happened, I, I said I was going to come back and do kind of a postseason review and then the weekend after the super bowl that didn't happen then the week after that was when the xfl got started up and i thought about coming back maybe talk about the xfl a bit and yeah that didn't happen it just for some reason i just wasn't it i the the microphone wasn't calling me you know i I wanted to come back i wanted to to do but i just I wanted to talk about something, and I wanted to have a reason to do it. And then finally, uh, I'm three weeks late on the return that I promised you guys, but here I am. And, um, you know, we'll talk briefly about what I think about the XFL. 
what I think about the Bears and what they should do with their quarterback situation. Uh, we let Taylor Gabriel and Prince of Mucamora go earlier this week. We signed a tight end, uh, Demetrius Harris, away from the – well, not away, but he was a uh, signed a tight end, uh, Demetrius Harris, from the Cleveland Browns, who spent some time with Nagy in Kansas City, so there's some familiarity there. We signed a cornerback from uh, the Canadian Football League, and they're talking about how it's like the highest compensation from CFL to the NFL, which can't be much because – Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I think we only signed him for like two years and two million or something like that. It wasn't a lot of money. Um, but as far as like getting paid and making it from the CFL to the NFL, it was big bucks. So I don't know. But uh, that was Roberson was his name. I can't remember what his first name was. Forgive me. Um, you know, Kyle Long retired. I don't know if we talked about that, if that was official um, before we did the year of review uh, episode, we hired a gaggle of new coaches. I'm not going to get into that because I don't really know anything about those guys. But, uh, you know, it's it's been interesting so far, the moves that the Bears uh, have made. We had a shot at Pat Shermer. He decided to go to Denver and call the plays for um, Vic Fangio with the Broncos, probably because he would be the primary play caller as opposed to uh playing second fiddle uh to Nagy uh in Chicago Nagy who's adamant about being the play caller uh in Chicago for one reason or another we hired Bill Lazor instead former OC of the Cincinnati Bengals and then we hired John DeFilippo who was a candidate for the coaching job when it was open after we fired John Fox to be the quarterback coach and then our quarterback coach um, who did a terrible job with Mitch Trubisky was promoted to passing game coordinator. So I don't know how that's going to work, but I don't know. I, and some people might think it's like I remember tweeting when it first happened. Feels more like uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, if you ask me. But uh, if the Bears are truly going in all in on Trubisky, it makes sense to have all of that support in there all these quarterback experts in there to help him. So talk a bit more about the quarterback situation here in a minute. But, um, you know, the rest of the the offseason has just been me kind of, you know, enjoying the break, watching the rest of the NFL unfold in front of us, rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl and then having that come true. That was, that was nice. I didn't want to, even with the whole Mahomes-Trubisky thing, that, that didn't bother me at all um 
it just uh, I, I it was time for some new blood, especially in the AFC. God bless the Tennessee Titans for taking them out early, and uh, you know then the Chiefs ended their fifty-year drought. Uh, they last won, went to the Super Bowl and won in Super Bowl four, and this is Super Bowl fifty-four. So fifty years since the Chiefs had been there, and then they win the game uh, over the uh, 49ers. It was a fun postseason. The Chiefs made it interesting. Uh, they went behind in every game in the postseason. They famously went down 24 nothing to the Texans before they came back and won. They were down like 17-7 to to the Titans before they came back and won, and then they were down 20-10 to in the fourth quarter uh, to the uh, 49ers in the Super Bowl before they came back and won that game uh, as well. So definitely, uh, I didn't, and I didn't think they'd be able to do that. I didn't think that if Kansas City fell behind against the 49ers and that defense, that they would be able to put it together and, and come from behind and win. I thought that was an absolute recipe for success for the 49ers if they got ahead of the, uh, uh, ahead of the Chiefs. Despite their explosiveness and their big play, uh, ability. I just thought the 49ers might be too good for that if that's what happened. I was happy to be wrong because I wanted the Chiefs to win that game, uh, and they did. So, But that's pretty much all I've been up to. Uh, caught up on the Oscar movies. There were nine movies nominated for Best Picture, and I saw eight of them. The only one that I did not see was Jojo Rabbit. So I did actually get a chance to see the foreign film uh, Parasite that ended up winning uh, Best Picture. If you haven't seen it, go see it or wait for i think it's even out on blu-ray or dvd now so maybe check that out on demand if you can fantastic fantastic movie and um you know definitely worthy of the title uh best picture for sure i was more of a fan of once upon a time in hollywood and joker i think parasite was like my number three but i could definitely see why that won uh best picture uh at the oscars so that was pretty much it that was my off season, uh, right there. So uh, here I am, I am back, and um, let's talk a little bit uh, about the XFL before we talk a little bit about the Bears, and then we'll get to me and Lauren uh, playing the what if game. Um, you know the XFL, it's the second incarnation of the XFL, and there's already a few stark differences between the two um, incarnations. Number one. The first one was about how football in the or the NFL was a bunch of pansies uh, playing football, and the XFL was made so that it was old school and it was tough. Like basically, there was no halo rule for punt returns. You could basically murder the guy even if he signals for a fair. Like every catch is live. There are no fair catches. You can run him down. You can mow him over. There was no coin tosses. There was literally like a free for all. Uh, to pick up a football to to win the quote-unquote coin toss. The very first one that they did, a guy diving for the ball blows out his shoulder. He's done. That's it. So <laughs> right off the bat, it was a failed experiment. And on, more importantly, um, wrestling or the WWF or, the, or WWE as it's called now was a, a f- cultural phenomenon at the time, and it was inextricably linked to the WWF at the time. Vince McMahon was at the first game saying, welcome to the XFL. Jim Ross, the announcer for, the, for, for, for Monday Night Raw, was one of the play-by-play announcers. Jerry Lawler was a color commentator for the other one. Uh, Jesse Ventura 
uh, was a color commentator. Even though Jesse had some time as a color guy, as a radio color guy for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, so he had some legitimacy there. But he was a color commentator uh, as well. I think that out of like the three or four teams that they had calling games for the XFL, there was literally like one legit journalist, you know, like one actual sports broadcaster, Matt Vaskersian, who's more of a baseball guy, calling those football games uh, for the XFL. And then as it started to wane in popularity in that first year, they started to like filter in like the Monday Night Raw skits, like with the cheerleaders and the wrestlers. And why is The Rock at the game between the Memphis Maniacs and the uh, Las Vegas Outlaws? Why is he there? You know, that kind of weird stuff. So now this is completely hands off. It has nothing to do with the WWE other than the fact that Vince McMahon owns it. It's all about player safety as opposed to what it was back in 2001 where it was about if you rip the guy's head clean off his shoulders, they're not going to flag you uh, for that. So I remember Dick Buck is doing like a video package for the first incarnation of the XFL where he was talking about, you know, there'll be hits, there'll be more of this, not this pansy stuff that they're doing in the NFL now. It's completely the opposite. So gameplay is a little different and one of those things that uh, is uh, starkly different is the kickoff I'm sure everyone that's been talking about the XFL has been talking about that and it's to to keep the kickoff unlike the AAF last year which just put the ball at the 25 yard line we'll just start there the excitement of a, of the start of a football game you know does didn't exist with the AAF with the XFL it was a have your cake and eat it too kind of moment where the kicker is the one that's far back whereas the, in in the NFL the the kicker and the um and the 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 punt return or the kickoff and kickoff return teams are basically right there and then the kicker is the the, the punt returner is the one that's far back by himself here it's the opposite the uh the 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 lines the defenders and and the tacklers are at the 30 and 35 yard line and the kick returner is somewhere between like the 10 or the 15, and it's the kicker that's all the way back by himself, and nobody's allowed to move until the punt returner or the kick returner catches the football, and then then you can take off the play. So there's no everyone's running for 60 yards before they make contact uh, with someone. The, the likelihood of those collisions is gone, but you get to keep that play, that play that could be the most exciting play in football from time to time. I've watched every game so far. No one's broke one, but it's basically set up that if you can get through that wall, it's you and the kicker between it's, you know, it's the, just the kicker between you and six points. And um, that's kind of fun. Uh, there are no extra points. There's extra point plays. You get a one point from two, in, two yards out, two points from five yards out, three points uh, from 10 yards out. So the strategy there. Uh, is interesting when you know when to go for it when to go for the three points when to go for two you know when you want to go for one so on uh, and so forth um, every play is replayed and um, so there's no coaching challenges or, or anything uh, like that it's all done by the uh, by the booth I think the AAF had something similar uh, to that and then the point that the thing that I know you guys are all most interested in as far as me weighing in with my thoughts on the XFL, the uniforms. 
the uniforms. Um, we've talked for years. You guys love to tease me online about our beloved and their orange jerseys that are an absolute atrocious eyesore. Uh, there are quite a few uh, uniforms in the XFL where I would prefer the orange abomination uniforms that our beloved wear over some of the uniforms in the XFL. For the most part, I like all the helmets. Uh, I really do. I think the LA Wildcats is a pretty lazy uh, design. Not really a big fan there. I love the St. Louis Battlehawks. I love their uh, helmet. The Seattle Dragons looks cool uh, with the dragon kind of coming up the side uh, of the uh, the helmet. Let's see the DC Defenders. I love its simplicity. Um, I love this. I like their their uniforms. The the simple red and white. I like St. Louis's uniforms. The blue, the white, and the uh, and the gray. For some reason, the XFL and the people who design the uniforms are very hard up on this color on color thing. You don't see it a lot uh, in the NFL. There's no um, like the defenders are red on red with white numbers, white stripes. Um, the the LA Wildcats are black on black. The like yesterday these. Then that's the home teams, and the Seattle Dragons were that that dark navy on the dark navy, and it's like the combinations with the numbers and the letters and how they contrast each other doesn't work for me. There's a million things I could probably do an entire podcast just bitching about the uniforms uh, in the XFL, but um, you know the Houston Roughnecks. Um, I th- I wish the helmet was white instead of silver. Um, you know, it's like they're like they don't want to put any white in any of the uniforms, and it's. The, the contrast between what they put in there instead, it doesn't really work. So I'm not a big fan uh, of the uniforms, which can make it difficult to watch sometimes. Like yesterday, watching the Tampa Bay Vipers, led by former head coach of the Chicago Bears, Mark Tressman, they uh, lost yesterday. So they're 0-3, surprise, surprise. They are like a green and a neon green is like their uniform. It is awful. It is awful. And again, they were doing the green on green thing. I think it would look a lot better if they did because their road uniforms where they're pretty much white on white with the with the green green numbers and then like the the, the neon green, almost yellow uh, trim on the numbers doesn't look bad. Not a fan of the helmet, but what are you going to do? Um, you know, but the uniform itself doesn't look bad. And then they do the opposite at home. It's green on green, but like the numbers are the neon green it just it doesn't it doesn't work it doesn't work at all uh not a big fan uh of it so i'm not a huge fan of the uniforms i think there's a lot of work that can be done there some tweaks and some fixes that could be done and i think like what i was trying to say there a moment ago was i think it would be better if they did if they had the green tops but had white bottoms i think that would look a lot better instead of this green on green glob that everyone appears to be uh, on the field that I'm not a fan of so uh, anyway uh, in watching all the games as a matter of fact I need to hurry up and finish the show here uh, because they're about to kick off for the Sunday games here uh, in about half an hour uh, or so so I'll start to uh, to wrap this up so last thing I want to talk about real quick uh, I talked about uh, the Bears cutting uh, Prince Mukamura and Taylor Gabriel those were salary cap moves uh, of course sad to see those guys uh, go Gabriel makes uh, a little bit Gabriel makes sense because of his concussion uh, issues. I think he missed at least half the season last year with with the two concussions uh, that he suffered. 
Uh, Amukamura is definitely more of a money move because he was set to make about eight or nine million uh, dollars, missed a handful of games here and there, and also I think he was playing hurt because he wasn't as effective as he was in 2018. So I wish those guys the best, and I tweeted at them both saying that uh, you might be leaving us, but we'll never leave you. Just please don't go anywhere in the NFC North and happy trails, <laughs> the kind of thing. Um, but um, the quarterback situation is probably the biggest thing about the, you know, what are the Bears going to do? And there's there's arguments and discussions and theories and ideas being tossed around all over the place from trading for Cam Newton to signing Tom Brady to going after Nick Foles or uh, you know, Marcus Mariota's out there, or do we want to give $30 million a year to Teddy Bridgewater and uh, things like that? Here is what I would like the Bears to do, and I think it benefits the Bears no matter what happens. And I know that, uh, you know, there are people out there, including friend of the show, uh, Eric Lambert, our friend from sportsmockery.com, has been on the show a couple of times. He's done some really interesting articles where he's kind of did a mock offseason where he kind of laid it out. Everything from, uh, you know, cuts before free agency to who the Bears should sign, who they should trade for, you know, what salary cap moves they make, who they should draft, everything like that. If you give it a, get a chance, A, follow Eric on, uh, on Twitter and check out his articles on sportsmockery.com. Uh, it's interesting, interesting uh, stuff. As a matter of fact, I'm hoping to get him on the show to discuss some of those uh, mock offseason articles to see maybe what, after what moves the Bears have made, what does he think the Bears should do or kind of run it down uh, for us. But, um, you know, they're talking about getting guys that can help the Bears win now, like a Cam Newton, like a Nick Foles, like a, uh, you know, or even the, the new fascination this week, Derek Carr from the Raiders. Because uh, there's a lot of talk about the the Raiders are preparing to make an offer to Tom Brady that would bring him in, and you know maybe that would be the course that they would want to go. Which means you're not going to pay Tom Brady thirty million and then keep Derek Carr on the books, who's making twenty twenty five million uh, right now. Somebody's got to go, and it's not going to be Brady. So Derek Carr seems to be available, and then he posted a picture on Instagram earlier this week, him and. Uh, Khalil Mack, probably from the London game, uh, embracing uh, one another, and I forget what the caption was, and uh, but it was quite ominous about like you know putting it out there, like you know I don't know if he was just trolling people uh, and whatnot, and, or you know just kind of leaning into all the the cannon fodder with uh, the rumors and and whatnot, but um, kind of made it look like he wanted to come to Chicago, and so of course that's 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 a new thing that's out there now. And if you make the move for Derek Carr, that's saying goodbye to Mitch Trubisky. And if that's the move the Bears want to make, okay, that's definitely a statement. We're making a statement in that in that uh, in that vein, and that's what the Bears are going to do. And hopefully, we don't have to give up much because obviously Carr is under contract for like three more seasons uh, with the Raiders. What will it cost for the Bears to get a hold of them? Well, how about we give them their second-round pick back, the one that we got uh, in the Khalil Mack trade. We have their second-round pick. What do we give that back to them, and they give us Derek Carr? Maybe. We'll see. 
what do I want the Bears to do or what I think the best course of action would be is to go and get a guy. For some reason, Andy Dalton makes the most sense to me, probably because of Bill Lazor and the time they spent together uh, in Cincinnati uh, together. Um, but it's like go and get an Andy Dalton or at the very least sign a Marcus Mariota and put those guys, either one we get, in a legitimate winner-take-all competition with Mitch Trubisky. If we're still trying to give Mitch one last chance in 2020, if that is a legit thing that the Bears want to do, then I think that is the best course of action. Don't go on out and sign a Case Keenum or re-sign Chase Daniel or, or anything like that because neither one of those guys is any threat to Mitch's status as QB1 of the Chicago Bears. You bring in a Mariota, you bring in a Dalton, you put one of you put them in a legitimate quarterback competition where there is a very real threat that Mitch will not be QB1 week 1 against whoever it is for the Bears. Uh, in 2020 and I like I said I feel like it would benefit the Bears no matter who wins because it's either Mitch that gets that swift kick in the ass that he's going to be a backup quarterback in his fourth and final year in Chicago and no he will not be in Chicago if he loses his job maybe he steps up and maybe he focuses better whatever the, the step in competition he hasn't been threatened even an iota in his three years in Chicago. He was shoved into, into duty because Superneck, Mike Glennon, was an absolute disaster. And I fought Mitch going on the field, kicking and screaming, but just I couldn't fight it anymore because Glennon was awful. Um, and Chase Daniel has never been a threat to keep the job. He always was in a position that he was going to give it back because he had one good performance and then he would back it up with a crappy one. And it's like, okay, well, well Mitch is obviously the better of the two. He's got to be out there, and that's what was happening. We got to bring somebody in. If the Bears plan on keeping Mitch and making the fourth year, uh, it's it's a win it and you're in it kind of thing for, for Mitch, I think the competition would be good for him. And even if he doesn't win, we know Mitch is at the very least a solid backup quarterback and Dalton or Mariota would be the winner. Change of scenery for them. New, uh, you know, new situation. We saw it work for, saw it work like gangbusters for Ryan Tannehill. So maybe Mariota or Dalton could be the Tannehill of 2020 for us. And, uh, you know, neither of those guys is, you know, somebody you could, who's going to win you a championship but definitely are, are talented enough. They've both been to the playoffs. They've both, well, Dalton never won a playoff game because Cincinnati just hasn't, but Mariota's won a playoff game or two. They've both been to the postseason. They've had their success, fallen on bad times, playing for you know less than, less than good uh, teams, could use a change of scenery, and you know sometimes that's the best thing ever for a guy. And um, I'd prefer Dalton over Mariota, which probably means they'd, either the Bengals would have to cut him or the Bears would have to trade for him. But who knows what Dalton would be worth at this point uh, in his career. Uh, he hasn't had a really great season in, in a couple of years because the Bengals have been awful. They got the number one pick in the draft this year. That's how good they were. But, um, you know, and and the only 
uh, support I have for my idea, for my theory, is the uh, 1995 season for all of you kiddies out there. Sit around the, the campfire. Grandpa Larry's going to tell you a story. Uh, in 1994, the Bears signed a quarterback away from the Detroit Lions called Eric Kramer. In 94, Eric Kramer came in. The start of his career in the Bear uniform wasn't great, and then he got hurt. And while he was hurt, uh, his backup, Steve Walsh, a, uh, a former Dallas Cowboys quarterback, came in and led the Bears to the playoffs in 94. And we went, we won a playoff game in the wild card round against the Minnesota Vikings, a team that swept us in the regular season. We beat them in the Metrodome uh, in the wild card round, only to lose to the eventual Super Bowl champion 49ers in the play in the divisional round. Now, come 1995, we have this expensive quarterback who's healthy and ready to go, and the guy that took us to the playoffs the year before. Head coach Dave Wonstadt put them in an open quarterback competition. Uh, they went back and forth. They alternated starts uh, in the preseason, and as the preseason unfolded, it was obvious who our starting quarterback should be. The winner of the competition was Eric Kramer, who in turn went to have one of the, the best single seasons a quarterback has ever had in Bears uniform. His his season, his passing to like 3,800 yards or something like that is still the most in franchise history. Nobody's ever topped it. In 1995, Eric Kramer did that. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm saying that's what could happen. Kramer came out and he was good all season long as opposed to that short that that sloppy start that he got off to in 94 and then capped it off by getting hurt and a guy basically took his job and wasn't going to give it back he had to earn his job back he got the job done he won the job and if not for uh our defense not being up to snuff in 95 we would have made the playoffs again so in fact i came it came down to uh the bears needed the 49ers to beat the falcons or something and the Falcons beat the 49ers, so the Bears didn't make the playoffs uh, in 95. Which kind of goes perfect with what's coming up next. Um, Lauren Cox from Locked on Bears and Bears Wire. Uh, I brought him in to play the What If game. And the What If game is uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, we had a fun conversation. I did it yesterday afternoon uh, with Lauren, so we'll go ahead and uh, give this off. But uh, before I do that, that is what I think the Bears should do. I think the Bears win no matter what happens. We either get the guy that we drafted number two overall, earns his job to, you know, earns it the, the right to keep his job and start the year as the starter, but he'll always be on a short leash with, that, with the Andy Dalton behind him, or Andy Dalton wins the job and we got Mitch if things go sideways there. I think that Dalton obviously would get a longer leash if he wins the job, but... We have Mitch if anything goes sideways, if Dalton gets hurt or anything uh, like that. I think the Bears win no matter what happens there, and we don't have to pay either one of those guys $20-plus million to be our starting quarterback. So I think um, you know we want to try this before we go all in on a Derek Carr or, God forbid, you know next year uh, you know if we want to go after like a Trevor Lawrence or something like that in the draft when we finally have a first-round pick again. Um, you know, I think this is the best course of action, especially with where the team is right now. The salary cap situation that we have uh, and everything, that is the best course of action. And like I said, I, it could benefit the Bears in ways like it benefited uh, the Tennessee Titans if there's a, uh, 
Uh, they, the Titans didn't have a quarterback competition with Mariota and Tannehill. Tannehill was brought in to be the backup, and he was given the job because Mariota wasn't getting it done. I think the Bears should go full-blown quarterback competition with a guy like Mariota or Dalton and see what happens, see what happens there. So that's my opinion. So let's get to uh, what if with uh, myself and, and, and Lauren Cox. We'll talk about the topic, and uh, the discussion was actually pretty entertaining. Uh, so let's get to it. Myself and Lauren Cox playing what if on the Bears Talk Underground. So after a nice long break, uh, we are back, or I am back, and uh, you know decided that you know the off season you got to fill in some gaps. That we, we we got a little bit of time, just a little, between now and when football actually starts to pick up again. So I decided that maybe we're going to play a little game here, and of course I have my my good friend from Locked On Bears, Lauren Cox, is here to join us to uh, play the very first edition of What If. Lauren, welcome back, man. Hey. I'm- Appreciate you having me on every time, and it's it's fun to kind of go back and look through some past history. We're gonna have to like dig into some of the corners of our memories and blow some duff stuff of some names we sure. haven't heard in a long time. But that's the fun part. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> just some names off. That will be interesting. So the first edition of What If um, we're kind of uh, in response to uh, the the NFL and the NFLPA are are uh, you know working on a brand new uh, CBA. And this week they famously uh, came out and saying that uh, the, uh, the, the CBA that the owners have approved, we're still waiting on the players to approve on it. Um, I don't know if it, it, if it does include the 17th game, but it does definitely include adding a seventh team to each conference in the playoffs. So this is something that the NFL's kind of been kicking the tires on for a while, Lauren, and it, it uh, becomes a thing like what if the uh, – what if the seventh team playoff thing was a thing when Lovey was the head coach? Because there's been nothing but a disaster for the most part since he left, so it's not really even a discussion to even think of. But during the Lovey era, the, the era I should say, the Bears were were better more than they weren't, and a couple of times they would have made the playoffs when they missed him. And so many times that was sort of the benchmark for Lovey, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but like, part of why he ultimately was fired and there's yeah. some some longer terms longer term ramifications of this hypothetical for lovey's career beyond just the individual seasons but what it would have meant more for everyone's job security including other coaches and other players on the roster as well so there's, there's a lot to get through there and i think there was some reporting that even they might try and institute this even if the cba isn't enacted right away like to still try and do this in 2020 i don't know where that stands now but sounds like it's it's very clearly coming soon yeah yeah and and like i said this is something they've been talking about for quite some time like to the point when 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 lovey and the bears were together in the early 2010s they went on a stretch there where had this seventh play seventh team thing existed they would have made the playoffs three years in a row, whereas they only made it one time. And we'll talk about that uh, here in a, in a second. But I remember watching it, you know, like in 2012 or 2013, I'm looking at the NFL Network and they're showing like, oh, yeah, if the 17 playoff existed, this is the team that would be playing. This is the first round wildcard matchup we would have seen and seeing the Bears up there uh, on the uh, on the graphic. So. 
Um, the first year, like during the Lovey era, Lovey obviously got hired 2004. Uh, the first year that the Bears made the playoffs, even though they did make the playoffs, there was a caveat to this because in 2005, the Bears were the two seed behind the uh, Seattle Seahawks, who were number one at 13 and three. The Bears finished 11 and five. As the two seed, we would not have had the bye as we did. We actually would have been playing Wild Card Weekend and hosting the nine and seven seven seed Minnesota Vikings in that first year of the playoffs. Yeah, that would have made things a little bit more treacherous trying to move along. Because what? See, now I'm trying to get back in memory. The Bears, the Bears still. I mean, they lost in the divisional round to the Carolina Panthers. So listen, you know, it's not like it was going to totally change a, a ton of things, but still having to have a little bit more of a, a tougher path to get there. I mean, maybe maybe they could have been able to hold on a little bit. And if, you know, you build a win and maybe, you know, get some momentum rather than coming in with that bye week off. Everyone wonders, you know, was it too much time off? But clearly, uh, you know, for the most part, the bye week has been successful and, and a sign of future playoff success. So it, it it is fun to look back, especially that year was one where it was some pretty strong playoff groups on both sides. It seemed like the league had a little bit more polls in terms of the opposite side of polar sides of the teams that were really good were really good and the teams that were really bad that were really bad and you had a lot of really quality playoff teams all competing. You didn't really have a bad team that snuck in at the end there. Yeah, Minnesota at 9-7 and seven would have been the worst team to make the playoffs that year because even the seventh seed on the AFC side was Kansas City at 10-6. and six. So they would have literally been the only single-digit win team to make the playoffs that year in 2005. And, and why I bring this up with the Bears, even though they did make the playoffs and they were a bye team and they were 11-5 and five division champs and such, is that I remember back in 2005 talking to a friend of mine because they tanked Week 17 in Minnesota. Number one, would they have done that? Because that would have probably been the win that got Minnesota in to the playoffs. Would they have, you know, phoned it in, uh, you know, week 17 to let Minnesota into the playoffs? Or would they have done like in 2018 and and squashed the bug that was the Vikings um, in that final round in, in Minnesota? And they they sat everybody, you know, like Rex Grossman was back to being starting quarterback. He was on the bench and Kyle Orton was back as the starter. Uh, you know, Erlacher and company, maybe they played the very first couple of series in the game, then they were done. Lovey was resting everybody for the playoffs. So basically nobody played significant football for about three weeks before we played Carolina in the divisional round. Like if we'd had that quote unquote warm up game against the Vikings in the wild card round, would we have been better prepared for Carolina in the divisional round? And I actually I pulled up that game score right here and they actually went to Jeff Blake. At at one point, as quarterback wow. in that game, I mean, there's a name <laughs> going way back there. But wow, Jeff Blake, number eleven, right? Wasn't he number yes. eleven for the Bears? Yeah, it, it looks like Brad Maynard attempted a pass in that game, oh, whether they wow. punt or something. Still got smoked by Brad Johnson and company. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that was such a good defense that season, and oh, we didn't man. See much of them used in that game. I don't know that Erlacher played i know like lance briggs had a tackle and you saw guys like leon joe todd Johnson, and jeremy kane kind of being the leaders of that defense and that 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 tells you everything you need to know about how the bears tried or didn't try in that game but you're right that that seventh playoff seed can put some more things at stake especially if the number the number one seed is 
uh, the only one with the buy, and there's more available there, and there's different matchups that you could be playing for versus that number seven opponent rather than in, in that season the Bears just kind of sitting back and saying, yep, we'll take our first round buy. It doesn't matter what happens in Minnesota. Yeah, and, and, and you can tell that the Bears were not themselves week 17 because if you look at that, if you look at the – the scores. I mean, number one, I was absolutely blown away by the fact that the Bears won 11 games scoring like 260 points in a season. I mean, that's unbelievable. But then you look at how many points they allowed. It was 202. And I think in like eight, like at literally half the games the Bears played in 2005 when they had legit had the number one defense in the NFL, 10 points or less. You know, it's just like that's how we were able to score 16 points a game and win 11 of them is because in almost in most of those football games, we gave up less than 10 and we lost to the Vikings like 34 to 10 or something like that. In that week 17 game, you knew the Bears were not playing to win uh, in that game to get blown away by the Vikings like that after having a defense that probably in the weeks before didn't give up 34 points in the three games before it. Yeah, looking at the numbers for that one, they were averaging 12 points a game allowed, but right. they were scoring 16 points yeah. a game in offense. So that kind of felt a little bit like some of the recent Bears teams with, with the defensive resurgence there, but uh, much more success with, with this group. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's amazing that the Bears did what they did in 2005 because the preseason was a nightmare for the Bears. Rex Grossman comes in. It's his second year as starter. He's off of the ACL injury that he suffered early in the season against Minnesota, uh, ironically enough. So he's healthy and he's coming back. Breaks his leg in the then like the second or third preseason game uh, against the Rams. Uh, was it Chad Hutchinson is supposed to be coming to the rescue? He was our backup quarterback. He was atrocious in the preseason and then this rookie that we drafted in the fourth round Kyle Orton comes in and every time he's on the field the Bears are moving the chains they're doing things on offense so Lovey just says to hell with it we'll give the kid the job and they go ahead and give the starting job to Kyle Orton who leads the Bears to like a 10 and 4 record as the starter uh you know it's just a dink and dunk offense it's all Thomas Jones you know, it's Thomas Jones and a three yards and a cloud of dust, and maybe we try to pass the ball uh, once in a while, even with Moose and Muhammad on the field that we just gave a bunch of money to uh, and everything. The Bears were really just kind of stringing it along, and if not for the defense, that would have been a disastrous season. And i got to be honest, when you start going to 2005 preseason, that's a little bit beyond my memory. That's, <laughs> it's honestly impressive. It's, I mean, it really is. That's I, I have no memory of, of that preseason whatsoever. Well, I just remember like how doomed I felt, you know, or how doomed I felt the Bears were. Grossman goes down, oh great, this again. Like what the hell's this guy's deal? You know, two thousand and four, he starts like three games, blows out his knee, uh scoring a touchdown nonetheless. Like the final step as he's diving for the end zone blows out his right ACL. Then comes back in, in the preseason two, three games into the preseason, breaks his leg. He's done, they think, for the year. They don't put him on IR, but he's basically burning a roster spot because he didn't play until like week 13 against the Falcons or something like that on Sunday Night Football. I remember that uh, quite vividly. And, you know, then it's Chad Hutchinson and this rookie that we drafted, Kyle Orton. Those are the other guys that we have at quarterback, which is probably where Jeff Blake comes into the picture. And, you know, Hutchinson was terrible. They bring in Orton. He's moving the chains. So I was like, yeah, go ahead and give him a shot. And I guess Lovey knew what he had uh, in his defense. 
because he had no hesitation in making that decision and putting Kyle Orton out there, and thankfully it worked out for the better. Yeah, and it's it's just kind of funny how that ended up playing out with as well as, as Orton did that season and then coming back into 06 and going back to Rex Grossman and really, I mean, Grossman having all that success. I mean, it was just funny how, like, it felt like it was just yet another not Bears not having a very good quarterback, and yet it didn't seem to matter which one was in. They were, The defense was so good. The running game was so good. And yeah. they, I mean, the style of football was just different back then that you could survive with 55% completion percentage and a one-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio. <laughs> yes. I mean, and that was the time where the NFL was still kind of fighting the whole this is a passing league thing. I mean, even though that's what everybody said, there were still a lot of teams that tried to win with defense and running the football, and obviously the Bears uh, were one of those. We just happened to have a good offensive line, an awesome running back, and an out-of-this-world defense, especially in 2005. So, But, you know, that, that year we're hosting the Vikings in the wild card round. I'd like to think that them not being rusty – because they did definitely look rusty. I don't know if you remember that Carolina game or how much you do remember. But for a team that gave up 12 points per game uh, throughout the entire regular season, we gave up 14 points to Carolina pretty much right away, right off the bat, bat to the Panthers. And we're dig- trying to dig ourselves out of this hole for the rest of the football game. Yeah, boy, I'm trying to piece together some memories of that game. And <laughs> what you're saying sounds familiar, but... Because, uh, like, first first second play, I mean, literally, like, the first or second play on offense for the Panthers, who started with the football, was like an 80-yard touchdown pass to Steve Smith right down the sideline. Like, they went up top right away, and Carolina smokes us. Like, before anybody's even got their seat warm, Carolina's got a touchdown uh, on the board. And this was a team that we had played several weeks before, and despite Steve Smith having, like, 18 catches for 200 yards we beat them 13 to 3 we completely shut them down outside of steve smith and then he comes back and he kills us again only this time he's able to find the end zone a couple of times and bury the bears yeah and i remember that feeling of like you know is this bears team going to be able to come from behind in the playoffs like it was a legitimate question and the idea was like well this, this defense is good enough that they won't have to play from behind ever but like if they got into a spot when, you know, whoever's, you know, with uh, Rex Grossman in that game having to throw them to victory, it, you know, once the lead started building for the Panthers, I remember that feeling of like, oh, no, this this isn't good. This is not this is not what this team was built for. This is not going to go well. Yeah. The final score was 29 to 21. So the Bears give up more than double their, you know, yearly uh, their average uh, of points. But they also score more than they usually do uh, during the uh, during the regular season, but 21 points, which would usually be a recipe for success for the 2005 team. The offense can give you 21 points. You win every single game. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough uh, against the uh, Panthers and the Bears go down and, uh, you know, one and done in the playoffs in 2005. But how would that have been different uh, if they would have had to play the Vikings the week before in the wild card round, there wouldn't have been any of that ring rust uh, and what have you. It's uh, it's fun to think about. So fast forward 2006, we don't need to worry about that. We were the one seed in 2006, so it wouldn't have uh, were it wouldn't have uh, counted at all. 2007, we were seven and nine and not even close to the playoffs. 
2008, I was really hoping we'd be able to talk about 2008 because the Bears were, it was a win and you're in situation. Week 17 in 2008, all we have to do is beat the, the, the Houston Texans and we're the sixth seed. We go into the playoffs. The Bears lose that game uh, to Houston and they're out. And I thought that maybe them losing that game means they're the seventh seed, but they actually dropped all the way to ninth behind Dallas and, and Tampa Bay. So we don't get to talk about 2008, even though it was one of the most wide open playoffs in NFC history. And that was a season where, again, we're sort of doing this back and forth with the quarterbacks. And you've got, a, like you said, a young Matt Forte coming in and Devin Hester trying to be a, a full-time wide receiver. But they didn't really have anything else going with that. Like, it felt like a little bit of a hodgepodge offense. But it was, still, yeah. it was still, that same, still that same Bears defense, I mean, with a lot of those talents. And it didn't necessarily end up, I think, because of some of the offensive struggles, the defense wasn't in as good of a situation to be able to hold up quite as well as you'd like but and I don't know it felt like a team that like you said because it was so wide open and because we had seen the Bears play some tough games that season we had seen them take on some opponents and you know like there was overtime versus the Saints and overtime versus the Packers right in that last stretch of the season it felt a little bit more battle tested even though there had been some of those hiccups along the way it was like this team not that they necessarily would totally do damage in the playoffs but just that if they happen to catch the right streak and that spark you know that they were going to run over everybody but there was that the pieces were there and it was just a matter of getting them all to fit together at the same time absolutely and then you look at how the 2008 playoffs unfolded on the nfc side and like i said it was absolutely wide open like it was anybody's playoffs because this was the season where if you're a home team you were doomed unless you were the arizona cardinals who were the only team in the nfc to win a home game because Arizona wins the wild card round. They beat the Falcons. They go on the road to the two seed Carolina Panthers, beat the unholy piss out of them, send them home early. The the Eagles, who were the team that made the playoffs because the Bears lost week six, week seventeen, the Eagles go on the road to Minnesota, beat the Vikings in the wild card round, then go to the one seed Giants, their divisional opponent, beat the number one seed defending world champion New York Giants to make it to the NFC championship game. So we're talking about the four seed versus the six seed and the four seed is hosting the NFC championship game. If the bears would have been in there, they go to Carolina week, uh, you know, week, uh, you know, week wildcard round. And, you know, who knows about what happens there, but because of how wide open it was, it just like felt like maybe if you're in, you have a chance and the Eagles almost pulled it off. They, they got in by the skin of their teeth. They got in because the bears lost. So it, was, it wasn't It was a win and you're in. That was the Bears. It's win and get help. The Eagles get help, and they almost go to the Super Bowl. So it would have been really interesting if the Bears were the seventh seed to talk about what would have been possible for them in the playoffs just because it, just, it was the Wild West in 2008 in the NFC. Well, and the, the, the help, some of the help the Eagles got too just in the playoffs, the matchups that they got with you know the Tavares-Jackson-Minnesota Vikings <laughs> Wow. Not necessarily uh, <laughs> the the biggest or most difficult. I mean, obviously the Vikings were ten and were ten and six that season. They made the playoffs for a reason. They weren't terrible, but you're not going against the elite quarterbacks because then in the second round, like you saw the Cardinals play the Panthers, and that was the game where Jake, Jake DeLome. DeLome, five interceptions. Yeah. You know, if if the Bears had been if that had been the Bears defense, they, they probably could have got a decent number of those interceptions. Or even the the Eagles and the Giants that year, as good as the Giants were. Eli Manning, two picks, no touchdowns in that game. And you got to give the Eagles defense credit, but the Bears had a defense too. And you just wonder if 
given those quarterback matchups that the NFC teams ended up playing, if the Bears could have been the one riding that path, that I think the, the Cardinals would have been the team that could really give them some trouble. I mean, that, that Kurt Warner, Larry Fitzgerald, Edron James offense was was doing some things that year. They went to the Super Bowl for a reason, yeah. but still, the what if is strong there. Yeah, So, but because of the difficulties on offense and specifically in the quarterback position, that's when Jerry Angelo decides to go all in, makes the trade with Denver for Jay Cutler. Did not work out in 2009. We were 7-9, and nine, didn't sniff the playoffs. But here we go to 2010, same scenario as 2005. We win the division. We make the playoffs. We're 11-5. and five, We're the two seed. And in reality, we got the bye. If the 17 playoff thing exists back then, we are hosting the 10-6 and six New York Giants in the uh, wild card round instead of waiting for the uh, 7-9 and nine Seattle Seahawks to come to town after upsetting the 11-5 and five New Orleans Saints. Uh, in the wild, the seven and nine Seahawks won the NFC West in 2010. That was unreal. And if the Bears had, you know, with the the New York Giants, I think were the seven seed yeah. year, like you said. And that's the Giants team that the very next year, of course, wins the Super Bowl. And it wasn't a drastically different. I mean, obviously, from year to year, there's going to be change on a team. But that 2010 Giants team still had Justin Tuck, OCU Minora, Jason Pierre-Paul. A lot of those studs up front on defense, you know, Antrell Roland and, and Kenny Phillips in the secondary back there. Well, and, Lauren, if you remember, this is the 10-6 and six Giants team that sacked Jay Cutler nine times in the first half of their Sunday night football matchup earlier that season. Yeah, you're right. You know, they <laughs> they concussed Jay Cutler by tackling him so much in the first half. They sacked him nine times in the first half, and they added a tenth in the second half on uh, poor Todd Collins. God, was he a disaster in Chicago. But, <laughs> you know, they sacked him nine times in the first half. This is that team coming to Soldier Field wild card weekend. Do we survive and make it to the divisional round for the Seahawks? I guess what either way your your playoffs end with Jay Cutler getting hurt and the Bears losing. So it, it doesn't make much of a difference if it's in the NFC yeah. Championship game or the wild card round. So I mean, does the do, does the Bears having to play the Giants in the wild card round with that shaky offensive line that we had? I mean, that's what got Jay Cutler killed in the NFC Championship game was the was the Packers who did not have a great defense were just running straight through that offensive line of the Bears and knocking Jay Cutler around and you know banging them here and there and 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 what have you it's like are we even there i mean do do the giants spare the chicago bear fan base of having to watch the bears blow it in the nfc championship game yeah you wonder i mean is is it sparing if you have an even earlier exit from the playoffs i mean you know what i mean well, like i mean just no one has gotten over losing that game to green oh. bay that's that's that that's what i'm talking about like here we are 10 full years later and that game still stings. People are still pissed Cutler didn't finish the game or that he left early and blah, blah, blah. Everyone still has nightmares about B.J. Raji and his pick six later in the game. And, Caleb and all Haney. that kind of – yeah, Caleb Haney. You know, almost being a hero and then being an absolute turd in 2011. But we'll talk about that here in a second. It's just, you know, the, the pain and the aggravation that came with losing that NFC Championship game to the Packers – watching them go on to win the Super Bowl, knowing that it should have been us instead of them kind of thing. <laughs> Do the Giants save us from all of that aggravation? Yeah, at, th at that point, it's, 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 like it's almost hard to sell because you're 100% right of how – I mean, that's maybe the biggest Bears what-if of my lifetime is that 2010 NFC Championship game. Yeah. But it, I don't know, if you 
if you could trade that for a first round loss in the playoffs, it, I don't know. <laughs> I, it's, I mean, it would, if it hadn't been the Packers and it hadn't ended the exact same way that it did, then I think it would be a, a different story, but yeah. it, it's, Boy, that yeah, that game itself with the Sam Shields interceptions and just mm-hmm. everything went. Yeah, okay, I'm. I, you've you've convinced me. I'll, I, <laughs> it would be a sparing for sure to lose to the Giants earlier. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's the good word. That's the best word to use it, or maybe you know, throwing on some rose-colored glasses here to try to see the the, the green the the grass on the other side. Can I throw in a few more uh, analogies here? Let me see if I can conjure <laughs> some up for you. But I mean, it's just uh, you know. 2010, we're the we're the two seed. We would have hosted the Giants. You know, um, Green Bay beats Philly in the wild card round, then goes to Atlanta and squashes the Falcons. So they're they're coming to Soldier Field. If in 2000, you know, if if the Giants are in this thing, I mean, just looking at that first matchup earlier in the season, not really talking and taking into account what happened the rest of the way down. Just that they took us to the woodshed in New York, by the way. You know, would the would that you know, and as terrible as the offensive line was, I mean, we struggled against the the Seahawks and we struggled mightily against Green Bay. That's what ultimately decided the game was knocking Jay Cutler out at halftime, and uh, you know him trying to go that one more series in the second half and realizing that he can't and that he's done, uh, kind of thing. You know, would the Giants and and that awesome pass rush you talked about with Yumanura and Justin Tuck and and all those guys and the secondary that they had, they were, you know, like you said, one year later, these guys won the Super Bowl. They went nine and seven and won the Super Bowl in 2011. So, you know, this was a team that was definitely capable uh, of bringing it. But would the, would the setting of would it have been different because of the setting? It's in Chicago. It's the playoffs. It's, you know, the stakes are different. Do we survive the Giants and make it to, you know, playing the Seahawks or as we've now agreed, would the Giants have spared us the pain of having to lose to the Packers? in the NFC Championship game. So that's what this game is for. Well, and anytime your offensive line includes starting Frank Omiel, Chris Williams, and Jamarcus Webb all in the same line, I think oh. all bets. And an aging Olin Krutz. As much as I love him, this was the end of Olin Krutz, was it not? Yeah, he was in his up, he was getting in the 30s there. I think 33-ish. And then Roberto Garza was probably the most consistent one up there. But just you can't live with only two starters that yeah. are. And Edward Williams and Lance Lewis, I think, ended up playing some snaps that year. I mean, it was Ooh. just... It was a mess. Oh man, was that offensive line terrible? They were Kevin so bad. They're one. Oof. <laughs> mm. Yeah. All right. So 2011. This I think is one of the most bittersweet seasons in recent Bears history because we get off to this lousy start, this two and three start in 2011. Then we go on a five game tear, and you know we 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 and this is the part that that I always come back to is that we had reached a point in the schedule where, like, uh, in 2018, where the Bears played all four AFC East teams in a row, the first, the last game where Jay Cutler got hurt, number one, our fifth straight victory, was game one of four straight against the AFC West, which was the worst division in football that year. It was the 8-8, eight and eight, 500, Tim Tebow-led Denver Broncos that won the division in the AFC West that year. We would have played all of those lousy teams in a row. Instead, <clears throat> we could have had a nine-game, eight-game win streak after that. We could have made the playoffs easily. Could have been a bi-week team uh, if things kept rolling uh, for the Bears. Instead, Cutler goes down. The thumb gets broken. Caleb Haney is garbage. We lose five straight to go seven and eight before winning the finale 
in Minnesota at eight and eight, which ironically, Lauren, despite everything I just said, would have been enough for the Bears to be the seventh seed in the twenty eleven playoffs. And it, you know, it's funny the the Lions were the sixth seed that yeah. year, so it's a really weird all around year with with some some disappointment there. But it was it was such a good team when it was rolling that yeah. way. I like I remember even like. It was one of those weird years where in that Chargers game, when Jay Cutler throws the interception that he ends up getting injured on trying to run him down and tackle. Like, even when he threw that interception, it was like, of course, when Jay throws an interception, you're kind of like, ah, you know, here we go again. But like, you almost started to shake that here we go again feeling in the sense where it was like, it was okay. Like, this this team is good. So, you know, Jay throws the interception, and I want to say it was like, you know, it wasn't like super. Did he like keep playing? Because it wasn't. I don't remember it being like right at the end he of the finished game. the game. Yeah, he finished the game. I think that's why I think that's kind of why it was so shocking. Like everyone hearing that he broke his thumb like this happened in like the either like the late third quarter, early fourth quarter. He came out for like two, three more series and finished the game throwing the football uh, and everything helped the Bears preserve their win uh, against the Chargers. And then you hear on Monday. Yeah, bro- Cutler broke his thumb. It's like, when the hell did that happen? And it turns out when he tried to make that tackle on the pick six, that's when he he landed funny on his on his hand when he came down trying to make the tackle, and that's where the break happened. Yeah, I I pulled up the game now. It was like it was early fourth quarter, like ten minutes left, and the Bears are up thirty one twenty. Yeah, and seven, you know what I mean? They're seven and three. They're rolling, and it just felt like it was all it was everything, all the hope for for Jay Cutler. Like this is what this is why they brought him in Chicago. This is he's sort of the savior at this time. I mean, not that the team was perfect, but they were rolling in such a way that just we hadn't really experienced up in that point. And they weren't just beating up on bad teams. I mean, they beat that Lions team that made the playoffs. And some of the other teams along the way were quality opponents. Obviously, they struggled with, like, some of the best of the best, you know, the Packers and the Saints early on. I remember that year being particularly difficult. But this was the culmination of a couple of years of Jay Cutler, like, waiting for this to all work in a way. And even... Even, you know, it was working with Devin Hester and Johnny Knox and yes. Williams and Earl Bennett and Dane Simon. You know, your your receiving group wasn't perfectly stellar, and you had Kellen Davis as your top tight end. It wasn't the best cast of characters around him besides Matt Forte. Yeah, this was, the, this was the first year without Greg Olson, too, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah. And it was like Jay Cutler was elevating the level of play of the players around him in a way that we just rarely ever see in Chicago. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, it was it was a year where – Johnny Knox was our number one receiver, and Devin Hester was close behind at, at number two, and yet the Bears were scoring points during that five-game uh, winning streak. Like you said, we won that game 31-20, uh, to 20, and the Chargers, and they didn't make the playoffs, but they weren't a bad football team uh, in 2011. They just you know, obviously couldn't put the wins together, but we're only talking about like year four, year five of Phillip Rivers. Tomlinson's still on the team as they're running back, and you know they were a good team. And we kind of ran them off the field that day, and it turned out to be the last two raw for that team. And it was just kind of sad how that season kind of devolved from there where, you know, so what was it, like three or four games later, Johnny Knox suffers the injury against the Seahawks. If was I that remember, 2011? That, yeah, that was the last year that yeah. he played. It's all the same. You're right. So, yeah, it was. That was actually, I think that was the fifth and final loss of that streak because we went three straight we lose to the Chiefs, the Broncos, and the, don't even get me started on that Broncos game. And that's the um, – like, I will defend to my grave Marion Barber. I do not blame that game 
on Marion Barber. <laughs> okay. Now, granted, he made the two biggest mistakes, the ones that everybody remembers. He ran out of bounds when he shouldn't have. He fumbled the ball later in the game. But I still blame that loss on Lovey and that whole playing not to lose nonsense, which allowed Tebow time to come back, send it to overtime, and win the game. We should have won that game in Denver, and it would have made a lot of difference. But instead, Lovey you know, pulls back on the reins, and for an offense that was having trouble scoring points without Jay Cutler, you know, going conservative and everything, it ended up costing them the game. Like everybody wants to blame Marion Barber. I was like, no, I'm I'm putting that one on on Lovey and his little late game philosophy uh, there. But we lose to the Raiders that first week. We lose to the Chiefs. We lose to the Broncos. I forget who the team in between was because then the Seahawks was the fifth and final. Like we pulled Josh McCown off of a high school football field to come and play quarterback for us. And in that Seahawks game where they absolutely murdered the Bears before we go to Week 17 and and win a meaningless game against the uh, the Vikings at the end of the year, and you're you're mixing it up because it was the Packers that they pulled McCown out for the, ah, the okay the final of the five the Seahawks were the fourth straight loss okay. right after the Broncos so it was Raiders wait the Chiefs, Packers Broncos. was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day wasn't it Yep you are oh, correct God the night of yeah it was didn't didn't. Uh, Rogers throw like five touchdowns in the first half of that game or something. Like he had that. five, points, but they were spread out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember that game. It's like ah, oh, Christmas Day, Bears Packers. How awesome is like? Nope, not awesome. Not even a little bit. So that was the Khalil Bell game when oh. he rushed 121 yards <laughs> out of nowhere. It was Josh McCown and Khalil Bell. Oh yeah, those are some memories. Oh, that, I mean that's how poorly. I mean that's how quickly. Like, just, just on a dime, that, that season turned for the Bears. <laughs> you know, I mean, when the Bears were on that five-game winning streak, I remember watching Total Access on NFL Network, NFL Live, and everybody talking about the main threat to the Packers, who finished 15-1 and that year. The Packers went 15-1 and in 2011, coming off their world championship in 2010. Everyone pointed at the Bears to being that one team they thought could stop Green Bay. Everyone thought that that was the one. Fast forward to a few weeks after the Cutler injury, national TV, Sunday night football, Christmas Day, and, <laughs> you know, it's it, me and 10 of my closest friends could have given the Bears more of a game or more or the Packers more of a game than the Bears did uh, in that one. It was embarrassing. Well, because, again, like I come back to some of these Bears offensive lines that we were talking about earlier. The, oh, in so that bad. game, I, was, I pulled up the starting lineup. It was Left to right, Jamarcus Webb, Edwin Williams, Roberto Garza, Chris Spencer, Lance Lewis, and you just you can't you can't stand a chance against a fourteen and one team at the time. Even with you know the defense that they still had a lot of good pieces. Still, even with I mean a lot of things going well for that team, Josh McCown, Cleo Bell, not not doing it. By Did themselves. you say Edwin Williams? Edwin Williams. Who the hell is Edwin Williams? I don't remember that name at all. I remember Lance Lewis. He was a fill-in guard for like I the 2011-2012 season. He 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 started a few games each year, pretty oh, much. Oh boy, yeah. So I think Louise was starting at right tackle. That's how I mean because he played yeah, guard yeah. His career, but they had to bump him out to right tackle for that game. Yeah, last they, Lance out. Lewis's uh, season famously ended, I think, in 2012. The cheap shot from uh, oh, what's his name? Was it, was it Sue or was it? No, no, no. It was um, Jared Allen. Oh, Jared Allen. It was like a, an interception. They're running down the field. Lance Lewis is like 10, 15 yards behind the ball, and Jared Allen just lays him out, and he ended up like messing up his knee or something like that 
on the uh, on the hit, but it was Jared Allen that uh, that hit him. So yeah, sent Lance Lewis home for the season after that. But Bears fans had a short memory for that when uh, Jared Allen came to town, of course. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know uh, we've been talking about all this stuff that happened in 2011, but haven't quite alluded to what could have happened. As the seventh seed, we no doubt would have been murdered by the number two uh, number two seed San Francisco 49ers, <laughs> uh, who were thirteen and three uh, that year. We would just been something that they picked their teeth with before, you know, taking on their actual divisional opponent in the in the, in the next round. Yeah, because that was that was one of Jim Harbaugh's best years. It was still Alex Smith and not Colin Kaepernick, but that defense, that Vic Fangio defense of yeah. all defense. I mean, just. Loaded, Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis, Dante Whitner, Justin Smith, Ahmad Brooks, Carlos Rogers, Alden Smith. I mean, Alden Smith was coming off of the bench with 14 sacks that season. I mean, it was just, they were they were dominant, and that would have been New York Giants 10-sack bad. I yeah, think. I mean, and they went to the NFC Championship game. They lost to the eventual world champion New York Giants, who were the four seed at 9-7. and seven. Um, And they were basically a muffed punt away from going to the Super Bowl that year, the 49ers. Uh, were so I mean they, they got a muff punt the 49ers were able to tie the game send it to overtime and they won it in uh, overtime but I mean they they would have just destroyed the Bears uh, in that game with especially with Caleb Haney or Josh McCown at at the running back or quarterback position and like you said Khalil Bell was our starting running back because that was the season that Matt Forte uh, was out for a few weeks with the sprained knee and all that kind of stuff so I think it was more fun to talk about what happened in the 2011 season to fantasize the, about what would have happened in the playoffs had we made it because it would have been, um, I mean, it was before your time, but in 1994, the Bears made the playoffs. They won in the wild card round by beating the Vikings, one of the more famous playoff victories in Bears history, and went on the road as the sixth seed to the 49ers now in 94 that's when they were embroiled in that back and forth with the Cowboys in the NFC championship every year and we went to San Francisco high off our win off the Vikings and lost like 44 to 3 or something <laughs> like that like like we just had no business being there with the future world champion 49ers and that game was I didn't even watch it I knew it was going to be bad and I just kept hearing about one touchdown after another Steve Young to, to <laughs> Steve Young, Jerry Rice, Steve Young to, you know, whoever. It just, it was bad. It was bad. Well, and it's funny because, like, if if the Bears had, if the playoff thing had been in place since 2011, Bears would have played the 49ers that year, got smoked. Come back to 2012, Bears would have played the 49ers in the first round. The, the 49ers team that goes to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And that, that was, a, I think, a better Bears team in 2012, obviously. Sure. A healthy quarterback and running back, et cetera, but... I don't know if I have a lot more, much more confidence in, in how that one would have played out. So we talk about 2012, and this obviously was the end of the road for Lovey because for the first eight weeks of the season, was there a team better than the Chicago Bears? 7-1, and one, unstoppable defense. Uh, you know, I mean, the defense that's scoring more points than the offense is, and the offense isn't doing too bad scoring points on its own uh, either. I think we scored 40 points out of the gate week one against the – uh, the Andrew, the rookie Andrew Luck led uh, Indianapolis Colts. Uh, you know, the, we just looked like the class of the NFC. Then the second half of the season happens. We go three and five. We and then we become that team that has to win and get help. And the help in Week 17 would have been Green Bay beating Minnesota, which they had done easily earlier in the season. 
We need Green Bay to beat the Vikings. If they do that, the Bears are in the playoffs. Instead, Adrian Peterson runs all over the Packers, who was in that pursuit of the uh, Eric Dickerson single-season rushing record uh, that year, and uh, runs all over Green Bay. They go to the playoffs, who in turn have to go back to Green Bay in the wild card round a week later, and the Green Bay Packers beat the unholy piss out of them in Lambeau. So it was all for nothing. The Bears missed the playoffs for no reason, essentially. But missing well, that, the missing the playoffs cost Lovey his uh, job. And like you said, if we were the seventh seed. We are on the road at Candlestick against the 49ers in the wild card round. Yeah, which didn't go well for the Green Bay Packers either when they no. did that divisional round. But that, that was an interesting Bears team because like, it, was, it really was sort of go all in on one last run with this Bears defense, with this head coach, with these aging stars. And you know that was I think that was that, that was the first year after they went and traded for Brandon Marshall, right? Because he that was the year we got Brandon Marshall. Was, this is Phil Emery year one, and his right. marquee move in the offseason was trading those third round picks for Brandon Marshall. Because Brandon Marshall had fifteen hundred yards and eleven touchdowns that season. I mean, he was just you had four thousand yard rusher. You had Brandon Marshall killing it. You had Jay Cutler playing fifteen games, pretty much a full season. Obviously, some some of his mistakes mixed in there. Still didn't really have the tight end position producing anything, but nope. you know, they were holding on to a 32-year-old Lance Briggs, a 31-year-old Charles Tillman, a 34-year-old Brian Erlacher, and you know, 32-year-old Julius Peppers, 32-year-old Israel Idanaje. It was sort of like the last hurrah that if if they could put it together that season, then maybe you had some reason to extend Lovey and kind of retool the defense and hope that this Brandon Marshall offense can be enough to kind of keep you afloat while the defense has to do some adjusting. It was like we're trading, we're going in on this season, and it, it worked for eight weeks. It really yeah. did. And then, for whatever reason, I still don't know if I have a good answer as to what exactly went wrong that season, but boy, did it go wrong. Yeah, I think, number one, I think it was a step up in competition because part of that uh, that second half of the season was the birth of Colin Kaepernick on Monday Night Football, and uh, that performance, you know, he became the starter for the injured Alex Smith and never gave his job back, led the 49ers to the Super Bowl that year, but it was the Bears that he cut his teeth on in that first game against the uh, on Monday night uh, football, one of the better defenses in the league, and they put like 33 points on the Bears. That was the one game that uh, Cutler missed with um, Jason Campbell as Campbell. the starting quarterback, and he was terrible in that game. But that was also you know an amazing 49er defense that we were up against, so not the too big of a surprise when we managed to score like seven points. Uh, in that game but as good as our defense was we couldn't stop Kaepernick and company uh, for the life of us and and ended up giving up third it wasn't it wasn't a contest between what was supposed to be like two of the elite teams in the NFC at the time and I know didn't later that year Erlacher got hurt and couldn't finish it out I think was that have been a Hunter Hillenmeyer replacement there and you know I'm not getting a lot from the Shea McClellans of the world and and you're right that some of it was just sort of luck and, and the schedule there where the Texans were one of the best teams in the AFC that year. And then the Vikings or the 49ers back to back in those two games, like you mentioned with Colin Kaepernick. Then they get a Seahawks team a little bit later with a rookie Russell Wilson. Yep. To be in overtime where, where I start to lose it a little bit is with the Vikings there. I mean, Adrian Peterson ran all over them, but it was still the Christian Ponder Minnesota Vikings. Right. I don't think yeah. the Bears have a very good excuse for that one. And then Aaron Rodgers did Aaron Rodgers things and Jay Cutler did Jay Cutler things against the Packers where it just for whatever reason when you play them. In, in, during the Levy Smith era, especially, it just in the, even though that's when he came in and said he's like, our goal is to beat the Green Bay Packers. Never, it was just never quite how it, it never played out 
in the Bears' favor. Well, in the, be, in the beginning of Lovey's tenure, that was working out. Even in 2004, his first year, we went 5-11. and 11. One of those victories was in Lambeau against the Packers. You know, we went up there and we beat the his first game ever against Green Bay. He goes to Lambeau and he beats them. 2005, we swept the Packers. 2006, we phoned in week 17 against the Green Bay, and, and you know, but we beat Green Bay in Green Bay week one. We shut them out, 26 to nothing. Capped it all off with Devin Hester's first punt return for a touchdown. Two, 2007, I think we split. And then 2008, we split with them, but that's where it turned. That was year one of Aaron Rodgers, and we've been nothing but Aaron Rodgers' plaything since he's been the starting quarterback for the uh, for the Green Bay Packers. And that's where it kind of turned. That back half, the last four or five years of the Lovey era, I think maybe we got one or two victories out of like 12 games uh, there at the end, and that's what really did him in. And even that 2012 season, you know, they started 7-1. and one. That mm-hmm. one was the Green Bay Packers in week two, and then they get swept by the Packers that year. And, you know, other than that big, bad Vikings loss, I mean, it was just for whatever reason, Aaron Rodgers and company uh, with whether it was he figured something out about Lovey's defense or their defense figured out something about Jay Cutler. That was just always you wonder if you could just flip a few of those divisional games, how different everything would be. That's a, a separate oh, one, sure. yeah. playoff question. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, the Bears would have gone to San Francisco in the wild card round. We more than likely would have been without Erlacher, who missed the last four games of the season with that sprained knee that he suffered against the Seahawks chasing around Russell Wilson, uh, who basically single-handedly won the game against the Bears uh, in that one, if you remember it. Um, you know, would Erlacher, would, have, would, he, would he have been back in time and how effective would he have been against Frank Gore in that running game that the 49ers had uh, back then? They make the playoffs. That likely saves Lovey for another year or two, or... Does Phil Emery pull the pull the pull the plug on it? Because yeah, we made the playoffs three years in a row, 2010, 2011, 2012, but embarrassing loss, I have no doubt, in twenty eleven, and then another, you know, troublesome try to win against the Kaepernick led uh, 49ers who were en route to a Super Bowl uh, you know, kind of thing. I think it would have been more of a game, especially the second time around, but same setting. We're in candlestick. It was still can it was still candlestick then. And, you know, same results, but we got Cutler instead of Campbell this time, so maybe it would have been more of a football game. Maybe we sneak one out uh, against the 49ers. I doubt it, but I think it would have been more competitive. We still lose nonetheless. Does Phil Emery pull the trigger on the coaching change after that? Because that's kind of ultimately the the what if and why I bring it up is if if this seven-team thing exists, Lovey's last three years, he makes the playoffs all three years. Does he earn a contract extension from there, are we able to avoid Trestman altogether, um, you know, because of it? Or, you know, what do you think happens there? Or maybe even a step further back, does does Phil, or does Jerry Angelo get fired if if they ah, make the playoffs 2010 and 2011? Question. Yeah. Because it's hard because, like, at first I thought, well, if he's making the playoffs, would they have a lot of reason to fire him? And then I pulled up his draft classes from 2008, 9, 10, and 11, yeah, and not good. there's not a lot there that panned out. I mean, you know, Gabe Karimi was the, his last first-round pick. Injury is not really necessarily – I mean, we could go through all the different picks, but not a, not a lot of first-round picks to even work with because of the Jay Cutler trade. So mm-hmm. how much can you blame him? I mean, you know, if if his third-round picks in twenty or 2009 and 2010 didn't really work out, obviously Gabe was a, a bust there, but he didn't have a lot of draft capital in those last few seasons to make those types of changes. And, you know, would – 
Although then at the same time, because Phil Emery came in and traded for Brandon Marshall, would Jerry Angelo have traded for Brandon Marshall? And then would they have been in position in 2012? I mean, it depends on how many steps you want to work back here. But yeah, the no Bears, kidding. You're right. It, there's a lot of layers to it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just for fun, I threw in 2013 because obviously everybody remembers week 17 of 2013. The NFC North is not a good division. Uh, that year because the 8-7-1 and one Green Bay Packers end up winning the division to make the playoffs uh, that year. And it was the famous Chris Conti play that we all still wake up screaming, uh, thinking about um, uh, and everything. A uh, friend of the show, Carolina Teague, who's a radio personality down in Texas, um, used that moment as her, like they had a heartbreak-themed sports conversation, and that was her main heartbreak was that play against the Bear, the Bears and the Packers watching Chris Conti stand flat-footed as Randall Cobb ran past him wide open for the fourth and eighth touchdown that won the game uh, for Green Bay. That was her big heartbreak. I agree with that. That is That was a devastating moment. But if the Bears make the – if you know Green Bay wins that game, they make the playoffs. The Bears were out. We wouldn't have been seventh. We would have been eighth. The team that would have made the playoffs had there been seven teams that year the 10 and 6 Arizona Cardinals coached by Bruce Arians the guy we should have hired so i just wanted to throw that in there like yeah and and, and while you bring it up you know that 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 last game with against the packers there and the whole Randall Cobb thing and Chris Conti i think one of the things that gets overlooked about that was not only that they gave up the touchdown and the packers took the lead but there were i think 46 seconds left when they when they scored that touchdown the Packers went for two and failed, so the Bears were were still, you know, right in that position. It was there was a five point game, and a touchdown. I mean, they still need a touchdown to win it, but they would have had, you know, they had some wiggle room there. Mm-hmm. And the Packers, for whatever reason, I don't remember exactly what happened, but the kickoff went out of bounds, and the Bears started. At, they either they either squibbed it and and it went to the forty, or the kickoff went out of bounds. But the Bears started with the ball at the forty, and Jay Cutler gets like fifteen yards in the first play to Martellus Bennett. They get to the Packers forty five, and then you've got Martellus Bennett. Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall. You got some big bodies yeah. that could go up and catch some passes. They they tried some shots deep and finally the Hail Mary on the last play ended up being intercepted. But like there was still just like a sliver of hope even after that Randall Cobb touchdown. And I think that's that's part of what it wasn't just like the last play of the game, but it was like a horrible play. And then you still were brought back with just a little bit more like, oh, maybe they could still do no, nope, never mind. <laughs> game over, playoffs <laughs> over, et cetera. Well, I mean, that was the thing about that 2013 team was that we had an offense where pretty much anything was possible. I, mean, I talk about it all the time. I've, I've said this thing a thousand times on the show and in conversations with people. The only offense better than the Bears in 2013, Trestman's first year, was Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos where they broke every offensive record ever. You know, Peyton throws 55 touchdowns. The Broncos scored 7,000 points. And, and everything. That was the only offense in football better than the Bears in, in 2013. That was the impact that Trestman had year one. However, he hired Mel Tucker, and we had the worst defenses in franchise history his two years as our uh, defensive uh, coordinator. That's why the Bears were 8-8. Eight and eight. That's why we didn't make the playoffs, because even a mediocre defense, we're 12-4, and four, we coast into the playoffs that year. Hell, we might even be the one seed. Who knows? But um, well, yeah. that's Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker to you, sir. Yes, 
Did you you see Drew Pearson's tweet about him? I don't think so. Drew Pearson, former Dallas Cowboy, uh, great. His grandson, I believe he said, was uh, recruited by Mel Tucker and committed to the University of Colorado. And Drew Pearson goes on after Tucker takes the the uh, Michigan State job in bold, you know, capital letters. Uh, Mel Tucker is a con man. That's a quote. Ooh. Mel Tucker is a con man. He lied to my grandson, got him to commit to Colorado, and then literally like the next moment takes the Michigan State job. Like he told him he was staying in Colorado. He wasn't taking that job and then turns around and takes the job. So, uh, yeah, Drew Pearson. Not happy. Not a happy guy. Mel Tucker just being who he is, I guess. I don't know. And, you know, I even go back to that, that Bears defense because, like, the week before that Packers game, they it was the one where they got smoked by Nick oh, Hole. so bad. For, but it was 54-11. 54-11, yeah. Oh, man. But then even in that last drive with the Randall Cobb touchdown, it took the Packers, like, 12 plays to get to midfield because they had a, a fourth-and-one conversion to John Kuhn. Then on third-and-three, Rodgers had a scramble for five yards after the Bears had kind of shut down what he was trying to pass. Then another fourth-and-one, they convert to Jordy Nelson. And all that just gets them to the Bears' 48-yard line before the actual Randall Cobb play. So, like, that defense, it was like a six-minute drive. They kept leaving the Packers on the field over and over again until the whole thing. I mean, it just... You couldn't script it in Hollywood more heartbreaking for the Bears, just how that whole game ended. Yeah, not to mention one of the biggest deciding plays in the game never happens if Lovey is the head coach. It never happens if Lovey is the head coach. And, of course, I'm talking about Peppers sacking Rodgers and what everybody on the field initially thought was an incomplete pass was actually a fumble that somebody picks up for Green Bay and walks into the end, literally walks into the end zone for a touchdown, you know, there isn't a bear on the field that isn't running after that football if Lovey is the head coach. That was always his thing. The ball never stays on the ground. It always ends up in our hands. Even if it's incomplete pass, somebody picks it up. That was one of his things when he was head coach of the Bears. First year without Lovey, all of a sudden, nobody's – everybody just sitting there staring at the ball. The guy – I don't remember which receiver it was – just picks it up walks it into the end zone, and then the referees throw their hands up. Hey, that's a touchdown. They review it, and it was. It was a fumble that should have been picked up and became a touchdown. It's like we gave the we gave Green Bay two freebies in that one. Chris Conti not hearing the audible, literally the only person on the field who did not hear the audible, and then nobody going up and picking up the football on the, the, the pepper sack of Aaron Rodgers. And I believe it was Jarrett Boykin of oh, all not yeah. Jordy Wilson, not James Jones, not Randall Cobb, Jarrett Boykin with yeah. the f- touchdown. But that was even a Bears game where, like, defensively, in, in maybe in Mel Tucker's defense, you look at the lineup the Bears were left with by that week. I mean, you had your, your cornerbacks were Zach Bowman, Tim Jennings, and Isaiah Frey. And at linebacker, you had James Anderson starting next to Lance Briggs. And then it was major right, Chris Conti. And then, you know, Peppers, McClellan, Wooten, Ratliff, Paya, David Bass on the defensive line. There's not terrible, but it was not a – not a, a high-quality Bears defense at that point, just given where things were from an injury standpoint. No, and then like you you mentioned everybody's age in 2012. Everybody's a year older now, and that defense got old together overnight, literally overnight, because that was the year that Tillman blew out his tricep the first time. Unfortunately, he did it again in 2014, and that was it for him in Chicago. And... You know, Briggs was was spending time on the injured list, which was something that never happened 
with him in, in years before. It was our first year without Brian Urlacher, you know, Julius Peppers. Obviously still led the team in sacks, but it was like the first kind of down year that he had uh, in a Bear uniform. It was just bad across the board. And then we had lost uh, Henry Melton to an MCL earlier uh, in the season. Henry Melton was on a franchise tag that year, I believe, and you know was a, was a Pro Bowl player the year before, had an outstanding season, especially in 2012. We lose him earlier in the year. So, yeah, Mel Tucker had this, the, chick, the, the chip stacked against him uh, in 2013. But we still had statistically like the worst defense the Bears have ever had. Uh, definitely that year. Not excuse it. Right, for sure. So, yeah, he definitely had some talent to work with. Was it the, the day one talent that we started the year with? No, but we definitely should have been better than giving up like 200 yards a game rushing. You know, they were so bad in, in the running game. And then in 2014, we fixed the run defense and were the worst pass defense uh, in football. So Tucker had to sacrifice one for the other in order to have any kind of success. Couldn't figure out how to how to even that out. So that's when, why that's why he's you gone. Went, went from the 30th ranked defense to the 31st ranked defense, but <laughs> but went from the second ranked offense in 2013 to the 23rd yes. ranked offense in 2014. In part due to some help from Jimmy Clausen at, at some point during that. Oh season. sure, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was an awesome. And we kept Jimmy Clausen because he started a game for us against the. Seahawks in 2015 that was a lot of fun too um but there you have it. we kind of went a little longer talking about 2013 a little bit more than we should have but nonetheless that's what if that's uh you know how we saw things maybe folding out or you know what the what the situation would have been like had that seventh playoff team thing existed during the Lovey Smith era is he still our head coach in 2013 like you said that was one thing I hadn't thought about was would Jerry Angelo still have been the GM Therefore, do we go and get Martellus Bennett? Do we trade for uh, Brandon Marshall? Because that was because God love uh, Jerry Angelo for all the success we had when he was in Chicago. That guy could put a defense together, but God help him trying to put offensive talent on the field and drafting in general. Yeah, yeah drafting <laughs> draft. God, drafting was such a disaster, man. And they absolute still, disaster. In spite of it, they've been. They they still were like you said the seventh the first team out of the playoffs a couple of those years and of course the NFC Championship game without like significant recent draft picks contributing I mean obviously he drafted pretty well earlier on with building up some of that defensive talent but even down the stretch the team was still good enough with Jerry Angelo's fingerprints all over it he he maybe gets a little bit too much I don't know crap in in hindsight because of how it ended but he he does deserve some credit for building it up the way he did. Yeah, I mean, but his his draft failures is ultimately why I think most Bear fans thinks he was a terrible uh, general manager. I mean, and and you know, like I said, his 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 inability to harness offensive talent. I think that Matt Forte may have been, and granted, that was a great pick, but like literally the only offensive player that he drafted that was worth anything. Well, Greg Olson too, but then he traded him away, so that's you know part of yes. the problem. Yes, yes, of course. Um, yeah, that which turned out to be the the nail in his coffin, that's for sure. Because um, he made that, that trade prior to 2011, and he didn't have a job after the 2011 season. So, yeah, that was that was a bad move, man. Good God. So, yeah, so I think that will do it. We'll wrap, up, uh, we'll wrap that up. And uh, I'm sure if I can dig up any other fun what-if scenarios. Uh, we, you and I talked earlier about uh, what if in 98 uh, Curtis Enos – uh, the Bears don't draft him, and I won't allude to who they who I think they should 
have drafted, but you reminded me that you were two years old in 1998, so maybe not the best conversation to have with you, but I'm sure that we can dig up something else that we can uh, play a what-if scenario with between now and the six months we have before the preseason starts again. So we'll start uh, getting the old bean working between the ears and see if uh, you can come up with something for us. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's hard for me to go too far back, but it's fun to be able to <laughs> these the the years that I uh, the years that I was uh, alive for uh, is, is a good start for me. Right, right. So I can't uh, you know, it can't send you to the library and have you do some research. Like, hey, what if the Bears drafted Joe Montana in '79 or whenever it was? They they wanted him. I think I, I think like the story is. I think Jim Finks was the GM at the time. And it had Montana's name on the card, and they changed it at the last minute to somebody else. Like the Bears were going to draft Joe Montana, and instead they picked someone else. Or, you know, in 83, when the Broncos were trying to trade, or the Raiders were trying to trade up uh, to draft John Elway, Howie Long was on the table for the Bears. What if Howie, Howie Long comes to the Bears in 83, and he's part of Howie Long, Dan Hampton, Steve McMichael, Richard Dent, in 85 and, and who's joe montana oh damn you i'm just kidding i'm just yeah. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> horrible joke lauren cox terrible <laughs> some so, old guy i don't know yeah some guy who was done playing football before you were born hey you told me the the broncos general manager played in the nfl what you know he was actually the number one pick in the draft really yeah. wow that's interesting shut up lauren <laughs> And the 49ers general manager did too? What is what? this is wild. Yeah. I remember John Lynch at least. Of course. You should. Yes. That one's a little more recent. Yeah. But Elway, I think, yeah, he retired in ninety eight. So you were an infant when uh Elway ended his career. So uh yeah. At least at least he beat the Packers a few times on the way out. Yes. Yeah, he did. All right. I grew up around that, that's for sure. Yes. Yes. Well, that's the part that I was privileged to see growing up in the 80s and early 90s uh, before Favre came around was watching the Bears kick the crap out of Green Bay twice a year. Uh, that during was not the, an experience of my lifetime. Yeah, ever. during the uh, Ditka era, the, the Bears did not lose to Green Bay. That just did not happen. So, um, yeah. And famously, one of, the, one of the losses to Green Bay to this day is an asterisk in the, uh, in the, uh, the media guide, the Why? instant replay game. Oh, that's right. The, uh, you know, with uh, what's his name, uh, Mikowski, the magic man being passed the line of scrimmage and, yeah, throwing the touchdown to Sterling Sharp and instant replay said he wasn't past the line. And, you know, for that thing to this day has an asterisk for the instant replay game that lost to Green Bay. So, and I was watching it live. That's how old I am. <laughs> well, Grandpa, I appreciate you having I'll me on the kiss my ass, you bastard. <laughs> So, yeah, and you're welcome for this trip down memory lane. I appreciate your sitting down and humoring the old man. I appreciate it. Back in your day, the Bears were the best team in football. They played football the right way in yeah. your day. And oh God, us us kids, we don't we we're too spoiled nowadays with all this passing. But we're we, you're the, you're the one who was spoiled with good Bears football. I haven't. I was seen. actually, yeah, yeah, which means that it, that's why it really sucks to be me because I knew what it's supposed to look like and watched it for years, and we have not gotten back to that. Ever since Ditka was let go, so, well, this is taking a depressing turn, Lauren. I'm going to uh, 
wrap this up, I think, for the third and final time. Thanks so much for, for coming back on. Where can we uh, catch you in the meantime, man? Yeah, you can hear me five days a week on the Locked On Bears podcast. You can read my work on the Bears Wire and follow me on Twitter at Cox Sports One. Yeah, I don't know if I if I envy you or if I'm just in awe of you because you can do five games or five shows a week during this time of year. Like I struggle. Like I was gone for six weeks trying to think of something to do in the interim so that I could do a show and i'm having trouble coming up with ideas to do a show once a week and you're pounding out stuff five times a week so kudos to you man i don't know how you do it it helps when the bears release taylor gabriel and prince of Mukamara and give you something to talk about in february yeah that helps yeah, yeah. <laughs> also being a team that quote unquote gives the largest compensation to a cfl player in nfl history now granted it wasn't very much money but still that's something that kind of sticks out in a conversation and just the quarterback discussion that's 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 been carrying me for a long time that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's gonna rage on for a bit and uh we'll see how that all uh shakes out but uh we look forward to uh having you back on see if we can throw together a a what if scenario that's modern enough for you to take part in and uh you know have some fun with that definitely anytime you want to have me on I'm, i'm always here for you all right lauren cox locked on bears bears wire and everything else in between we'll see you again soon Remember, guys, use promo code CHAIR to double your first deposit at mybookie.ag, where you play, you win, you get paid. want to thank Lauren Cox for joining me uh, for that discussion uh, for What If. And uh, I know you guys know that uh, when Lauren and I get together, uh, you better get comfy because we're going to be at it for a while. And uh, we were talking about the What If scenarios. Kind of went off the uh, point there from time to time, but uh, fun discussion. Uh, fun game. There are other topics that I'll bring into it uh, throughout the uh, off season and see what kind of things we can talk about there. What guests I want to bring in to have those discussions uh, with, I think would be um, pretty interesting to see who I could talk into uh, playing the what if game uh, with me. But um, that's going to do it uh, for the show, guys. Don't have a whole lot to add uh, after that. Um don't know when I'll be back, um, and like I said, if, if I come up with an idea uh, or something like that for the off season, or if I can uh, get a guest to come on to the uh, show, be more than happy to uh, to, to, to do that, and uh, we'll see what we can uh, dig up. So just stay close to uh, the social media, at BTU underscore Larry on uh, Twitter, and you can find the Facebook group Bears Talk Underground uh, on Facebook and go us go ahead and give us a like or a follow and uh get in on any kind of discussions there's a lot of people uh sharing news articles and things like that in the group and um you know keeping each other uh informed so that's where i keep you guys informed on when to expect the next episode so anyway guys that is going to do it for the first off-season episode of 2020 um it's like I said at the beginning. It's going to be an interesting off season. What moves will Ryan Pace made? What 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 other additions will he make at the moment? We've gotten rid of Taylor Gabriel and Prince Mukamura, and we've brought in Demetrius Harris, a tight end, and and uh, Roberson, a, a cornerback from the CFL. Um, so far, those are our, the the additions. We lost Kyle Long to uh, retirement. God bless him and Godspeed. 
uh, and thanks for all of his uh, fun service there. So, you know, that's where we're at right now. What other moves will the Bears make? Will there be more salary cap casualties? Will they will they make some trades and some moves to try to get some draft capital? We'll see. So uh, maybe that's what the next show will be. I maybe talk to Eric Lambert and maybe we'll do one of his mock off seasons uh, on the show and talk about that. So, like I said, stick close to the social media, and I'll be back when I'm back. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.